coming up next on the Passionately Married podcast. And we also showed the um, the high value of curiosity because often when we step into marriage, we expect our spouse to be like us. And we don't understand why you don't want the way I do, or you don't want what I do, or you should be more like me is kind of this unstated uh, belief in the back of our mind. I that think it's even subconscious, right? And many yeah. times I think it is. And so we step into it with, you need to hear me and you need to respond to what I want, as opposed to stepping back and going, wait, what? Well, welcome to the show. I'm Dr. Corey Allen, and alongside my wife. Well, you know, every time somebody could just be stumbling upon the show and they're listening and they're like, you know what? They never said welcome. Right. And so everything, well, welcome. Just, everything just feels out of place and disjointed. Yeah. Because we all have orders that we like to follow, right? Mm-hmm. Structure, paths, processes. You know what's so interesting about that thought is there are really not consistent orders and paths and structures you can follow in marriage it's two different people and you kind of set it the way you want your life and then sure enough something happens and it doesn't flow the way you want it, it rocks to in the you, world in, in your life and in your marriage and in your relationships <laughs> we have routines they may be bad routines but we have routines true that everybody seeks to get a comfort zone and sometimes what you need to do is figure out how do I challenge that comfort zone a little bit to get a little bit more life mm-hmm. and vibrancy and passion out of life and that's mm-hmm. what we try to talk about here well, if you're new to the show, uh, if you want to tell your friends about the Passionately Married podcast, uh, check out the episode starter packs. They're collections of our favorite episodes organized by topic. And you can find all of those at passionatelymarried.net forward slash starter. And if you got some feedback for us, there's something that we missed or we haven't covered because every so often we will come back and your words help frame the show completely. Mm-hmm. Let us know, 214-702-9565 or feedback at passionatelymarried.net. Well, coming up today on the regular version and the full extended version, because everybody gets the full show today. Yeah. Because we are joined exciting. by Shanti Feldhahn and Dr. Michael Sitzma. Mm-hmm. They have a new book out called The Secrets of Sex and Marriage. And these two bring some serious research game and... Um, history to the field. I mean, that's their background, right? Totally. I mean, Shanti is a Harvard-trained researcher. Okay. And then Dr. Sitzma has been uh, in the field for decades working um, in the sp- specifically in the arena of sex and intimacy mm-hmm. uh, with, with married couples. And so they teamed up to update some research to conduct their own, which was so good. And then what they find. And that's what we're going to discuss today. So I loved um, this part of it really spoke to me because they're looking at uh, responsive desire. Right. And so and and that's that's me. I'm the responsive person. I want sex. I enjoy it. I'm just not usually the initiator. It's not forefront of my mind. And so there's some some points in there that they talk about um, that they're person who's responsive has to catch up right. to the initiator and some points in there. And if one of those is off, then it's going to affect me catching up to you. And I, I, they just said some great info in here that they found. Mm-hmm. And if I'm uh, being the 
an in, in, instigator of this whole thing mm-hmm. or the initiator, the spontaneous. We've, I mean, there's a lot of different terminology that we've used across the years of the show. Yeah. And so this is just the, the framework is the same, but they've come back, come, they've come at it with a, a more data driven re- reaction to it. Because mm-hmm. what's fun to me then stood out is the idea that um, we so often as spouses, um, assume differently of what our of what our spouse's desire level is of what they want exactly exactly like, they've got a good point in there of one spouse here's what my real desire is but here's how my spouse perceives it right. and vice versa and they're totally off when their real desires really are pretty much the same or a whole lot closer than we often think they are yes yeah but our perceptions of one another are totally off base like night and day right. which then affects everything right. else right because the route to get there is different for each side yeah. and that's what we talk about all the way through the show yeah the phrase one of the phrases i love perception is reality yep and it it's my reality it may not be what's really real but it's reality for me and that affects everything else. (laughs) All that's coming up on today's show. Support for today's episode comes from Honey Love. Spring means wedding season and Honey Love came out on top for the best wedding day shapewear. Always need that. Right. And if I'm going to a wedding, I want none of that cellulite to show. The shapewear is fabulous. Nice and right? smooth. Whether you're a bride, a guest, or looking for an everyday fit, Honey Love is your go-to for all things shapewear. They've revolutionized compression technology, so you no longer have to feel like you're suffocating while wearing effective shapewear, especially, you know, in the heat of summer. Don't want that. Some of those others can be smothering. You'll immediately feel and see the difference. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. Get 20% off your entire order with the code PASSION at honeylove.com. Support our show and check them out at honeylove.com and use the code PASSION. The Superpower Short is helping ladies everywhere sculpt and smooth from stomach to thigh by offering just the perfect amount of compression. But it doesn't stop there. Honey Love has more than just sculpt wear. They have incredibly comfortable bras, tanks, and leggings for everyday support. They've revolutionized the bra game so you no longer have to deal with uncomfortable underwire without sacrificing support. Get shape and support. Treat yourself to the best shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com with the code PASSION. Use our code PASSION at honeylove.com. It is a real privilege and honor to welcome uh, to the show Shanti Feldhahn and Michael Sitzma. uh, You guys have a new book out. The Secrets of Sex and Marriage, which is right up the alley of what uh, the audience of the Passionately Married podcast is interested in. And I know what the background you guys bring, this isn't something that was just thrown together. Uh, This is something that was a labor-intensive project. And so I'm thinking to start the conversation, uh, I would love to just set the stage on um, how did this come to be? as far as the two of you guys teaming up to make this happen. And then well, give a brief, what was the whole uh, process of, of putting this together? And then I want to get into what are the surprises and the finds and, and the, the meat that we can use. Go ahead. Oh, Shanti. Gosh. <laughs> I was just going to oh. say, 
there's oh. a lot there. Yeah, yes, there I'll is. let you start from your side. I'll I'll talk just briefly on mine. Yeah, so the, this actually started because um, my husband Jeff and I we've you know we've done all these different research projects over the years, written different books. Basically, the the premise, what we sort of feel called to, because you know we're not psychologists or clinicians like you guys. Um, but we do have analytical backgrounds. And so over the years, we've done these different studies um, to dig out what really matters and kind of what are the little things that make a big difference in people's lives and relationships, essentially. Like if you're just going to change like this or this, what are those things that are going to make the biggest impact? And over the years, obviously, anyone who deals with anything related to marriage you know, they see two big issues rising to the surface, right? Sex and money. Mm-hmm. And um, Jeff and I had done um, a research project in a book called Thriving in Love and Money. And then we're sort of praying about what's the next project. And, well, this is a, you know, this issue of intimacy is a big deal. And, oh, dear. <laughs> like, are we really, really going to tackle this topic? And um, and we kind of felt like we were being led to do it, but only if <laughs> only if our longtime advisor, Dr. Michael Seitzma, could do <laughs> could do Perfect. this with us, <laughs> because we knew we could do damage on this topic if we were not completely accurate. And because uh, Dr. Mike is such a well-known and well-respected nationally as a sex therapist and sort of a leader, thought leader in this area, Um, you know, has trained most of the Christian sex therapists out there, for example. Um, We, we, we were really delighted when we managed to convince them. I'm not sure how we managed to convince you. (laughs) uh, Honestly, it was you, your reputation, watching you for 20 years do your work. Um, I come at it from a different side. My PhD from a tier one research institution where we were just grilled in how to do excellent research uh, over 20 years ago. And doing it in sexual desire discrepancy in married couples specializing in marital sex therapy and just fell in love with doing the research and what you can learn from it. So have always done that kind of on the side uh, for the last 20 years. And the opportunity to join with Shanti and her um, her demand for excellence in what she does um, and to do a, a research study that truly is, um, you know, hasn't been done this way before. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to do such a large dyadic um, sample was, you know, that's really appealing. So that made it a lot easier. And that's and that's worth uh, noting as we get started, just so the audience is aware that the dyadic survey you guys did, which is the matched pair survey. So it's Correct. not just you didn't throw out there. We're just looking for respondents. I mean, I remember when I was doing my research for the dissertation over 20 years ago, too. It's like, I just need somebody that has a pulse and can answer some questions. Uh (laughs) Right. And that's all I need. I don't care who you are. Just get in here. I need the data. You guys went real strategic. Right. Because it's both sides of the dyad. We actually have four different surveys that we did. Two of them are nationally representative surveys. One of them is um, married individuals. So we didn't, this wasn't dyadic, but the other one, the one that I love was um, 501 married couples, that dyadic matched pair 
Um, and we're not aware of any research that is this large, um, that is nationally representative, that looks at marital sexuality specifically. So, you know, and then, of course, when you're working with dyadic data, as you know, that takes all different kinds of methodology because you can't assume independence. And you, there's so much that goes into it, which is just part of the fun puzzle for me. And right. expensive. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. And an expensive puzzle. Yes. Uh-huh. In, indeed. Okay. And so since we're setting this, we set the stage for what's the backbone of all of this that you guys did to, to find the data, to get the, the, the input and the information from the people. What let's kind of go, I mean, I, a lot of this will be in the book and I imagine some of it may not be, but what was some of the things that were surprising or important about what you discovered? Well, okay. Let me jump in there. I'm the average wife and mom, right? Like I'm a researcher, but I am not a clinician and I'm not a therapist. And so everything surprised me. Okay, perfect. (laughs) Nothing surprised this guy. (laughs) Except Except the kids. Yes, there were a couple things that came out in the data, which he can explain in a minute. But there were a couple things that, you know, precise nuances that he was like, whoa, that sort of debunks some of Uh the the field's assumptions. Mm -hmm. Um, But in general, we were, what we were going for was the stuff that surprised me. Like the average, the average couple, right? Like what are the things that are just obstacles that people don't realize they're maybe even putting in their own way or that they're believing mythology that's causing an issue that they don't even know is there, like that kind of stuff. So for for me and for having watched now the impact on this as as we have been sharing this with now with leaders for the last couple of years as the research and the analysis has been ongoing. Um, and then now that the book is actually out and watching the reaction um, of the general market, I I personally think one of the most important surprises is helping the average couple understand the concept that there's not just one type of desire. Um, I mean, in, in your audience may already be familiar with it, but do you mind if I just unpack that for a second? No, it, it, it <laughs> go, because I think this is anything, even if some of the content we discuss today is a repeat for people, I think there's still element of repetition just we hear it again yeah. and it's like, wait, that little nuance I didn't. I mean, it's kind of like looking back at research. Yeah. It's like you see something initially and then you go back to it. Or it's even looking like, at scripture oh. and you're like, when did that get in there? You know, because the yeah. nuance is is different yeah. because of where you are. So please lead on. Well, and we also have some numbers and these are new, right? Okay. These are from these are from these nationally representative samples. Um, and that's helpful to actually know what are the numbers, mm-hmm. right? Um, but just for maybe people who aren't as familiar with it or a repeat for those who are, one of the things that often gets in the way for couples is this subconscious idea that what you see on the screen and like, you know, mm-hmm. a movie or a TV show <clears throat> is kind of the way that sex and desire works, right. which is you have, you know, the man and the woman kind of look at each other and there's a spark, there's a desire, there's you know, this surge of feeling of wanting somebody sexually. 
And then pretty soon on the screen, pretty soon the two start kissing and the clothes are off and they're in bed, right? Right. Like, and just that you feel desired, you do something about it. And I, when we started working on this, I had been aware because Dr. Mike had been, you know, an advisor on this topic for years. I was aware that that wasn't, you know, the whole story, but what was a huge surprise to me was to find out that if you call that kind of initiating desire, Mm -hmm. and there's a second type of desire called receptive desire, Mm -hmm. the person with receptive desire, which not only doesn't match the Hollywood sort of portrayal, that the person with receptive desire, their physiology basically works in the reverse order. And they don't necessarily feel that surge of desire. Right. And that person decides to get engaged sexually. It's like a, it's a choice, mm-hmm. you know, looking forward to it, feeling like, okay, it'll, that'll come along there at some mm-hmm. point. But then that person, the physiology starts getting aroused. I mean, assuming that this is a positive experience right. and this is a goodwilled marriage and all that kind of stuff. But assuming that, then that arousal starts coming and then that sense of desire comes in that maybe their partner felt from the very beginning. Right. And that I, when I first learned that early on, this is relatively early on in our, you know, research and in our meetings with Dr. Mike, I actually started sharing some of that with just girlfriends. Cause of right. course all my girlfriends are like, what are you learning? <laughs> <laughs> Give me the scoop, Shanti. Give me the scoop. Yep. And I started sharing this with some girlfriends and I watched their eyes like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. And like yeah. this feeling like I felt like something was wrong with me. And no, it's just your physiology. Right. And it, it makes such a difference. Yes, it does. Once we understand that and work with it rather than feeling like somebody's broken. Yeah, I love the concept of it's it's a decision and then hopefully the biology catches up to the decision, right? Well, it, it, it catches go. up. It catches up if the body begins to to be aroused and they Perfect. become aware of the arousal. Um, they become aware of the subjective arousal, which sometimes those show up in different orders. Mm-hmm. Um, the receptive person might experience this as I enjoy our time together and I enjoy feeling the focus of my spouse's attention. Um, or it may be, wow, this this is feeling good. But then they have to also view both of those positively. Right. And some people start right. to get aroused and they view it negatively and the desire never shows up. They experience pressure or they experience a, a performance kind of an issue or a, a host of things can disrupt them being able to relax into it. But if all of those pieces are in place, I choose, I begin to respond both subjectively and body, and then I view it positively. That's when the desire circuit tends to click on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and being aware that, you know, five minutes into this, I probably will be looking and saying, don't stop. You know, mm-hmm. this is good. Or, <laughs> or I might be thinking, why don't we do this more often? Right. Um, because I'm enjoying it in the moment. Um, right. Well, and, and Corey, one of the things I'm going to share a couple of numbers <laughs> because this is actually one of the things that to me, as we've now shared, like 
I know Dr. Mike does marriage events. Jeff and I do marriage events. And as we share these numbers from the stage, you see the freedom mm -hmm. that that arrives when people are like, oh my goodness, like I'm not an outlier. Um, like for example, just, just as a baseline, I believe if I'm remembering correctly, Mike, 55% of the population is receptive. Okay. And, and that right there helps put that sort of, sort right. of a framework around right. it. Now it's, it tends to be more women than men, but not all. I think mm -hmm. it's 70, 73% of women are receptive, but 38% of men are receptive. And it tends to be more often towards the older guy who maybe might've been initiating, you know, in his thirties, forties, fifties, and then finds himself like, Oh, like I'm more distraction now. But the thing that, um, that Dr. Mike calculated from that dyadic data, which by the way, Corey made my brain hurt. Like every time <laughs> yep. we started into the analysis of this, I'm like, blah, it's just so complicated. But he actually pins down what is it that in terms of couples, marriages, what percentage of marriages have an initiating husband and an initiating desire wife? Like that matches the Hollywood idea, right? Right. Like where both people feel desire and do something about it. And it's only 10% right. of, the, of the married couples. So 90% have a completely different pattern. And right. that is very freeing. Yeah, that is. So when you, when you think of that, as, as far as the whole process that Shanti, you're the one that uh, all of it is like, man, okay, this is all great data. This is all surprising to me. Um, and it's freeing in a lot of ways. Cause that's the whole thing I love about research is we get so mm -hmm. inundated with things. And I know you guys even point this out that, and I want to <laughs> go deeper into this, that the idea of most of what gets in our way of these like desire level differences between husband and wife isn't necessarily the actual difference because it's closer than you think that what gets in the way is my perception of them rather than them. And, and it's a, so, that actually is the source of the greatest amount of pain. People think the difference between them is the source of the pain and of the distress. And what I showed in my dissertation back 20 years ago is it wasn't the the calculated difference between the high and the low desire spouse. It wasn't the difference between what he said he wanted and what she said she wanted. Right. Um, that difference is actually, as you just said, and we point out in the book, much smaller than most people believe. Most couples um, are within one or two um, steps of each other, mm -hmm. um, but they believe they're further apart than that. And right. the more distressed a couple is, the more, uh, the further apart they believe. And right. so, you know, you've seen this. It's a couple that sits a, across from you and you look at him and you say, how often do you think your wife wants to have sex? And he says, never. And you ask her and she says one to two times a week. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a big difference between two times a week and never. Mm -hmm. And the further apart <laughs> that is, the greater the distress. And I look at her and say, how often does he want to have sex? And she says, at least daily. Right. And I ask him and he's like two to three times. There's a big difference between those two. And when you take a daily and never, that's a massive difference. And <laughs> totally. the further apart, 
the gr- I was able to show the greater the pain in the relationship. And if we can just get couples to understand, wait, you want what? Right. You know, and I look at them and say, what if they're, what if you didn't marry a liar? You know, what if they tell you the truth? Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, they shift to the same side of the table and they start problem solving. How do we get to where we both want? And right. now we've got a couple that moves from being against each other to working towards a similar goal. And, and it's so fascinating to watch the pain disappear and the couple to get on board with it. Uh, I, I like to point out that couples that come to me for sexual desire issues, when they leave, they, they are experiencing about one, maybe two times more sexual encounters per month, which is about what the best meds that we have for this do. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet the distress is totally gone. They like each other again and they enjoy the time that they have together because they've gotten on the same page. And, and it shifted. Uh, like Shanti was saying, when, uh, when we do the marriage workshops, I like to, to listen to what people are saying as they walk out. And the greatest thing I hear is one spouse looking to the other and going, I'm not broken. I'm normal. Right. It's right. okay for me to be me. Right. And, and the shift that happens in the couple is profound in that moment. Right. And that, because that's the idea of what, what you guys are just confirming in this is that there's, there's a process of the differences between us aren't something to be, um, mm-hmm. as, as something's going catastrophically wrong, right? This, right. it's not at all that, right? It's, it's, it's there's differences that. between us, right? <laughs> yeah. Generally. It's, it's easy to think. Mm-hmm. that oh my gosh it's all the big stuff which is one of the reasons why it shuts you down right like it's it's easy to sort of shut down when you kind of think oh my gosh you know there's just no way to address this which speaking from the average non-therapist marriage you know this is a topic that we don't have a grid for because we don't even talk to like our, this is the only topic really in all of marriage that most couples don't even talk about with even their closest friends because it's private. It's sacred. I mean, some people do, but you know, Jeff always, Jeff, my husband always does. um, He does like men's groups and men's Bible studies, that kind of thing. And he's like the deep, the, the sort of the deepest that you go is maybe a guy saying, yeah, there's just not a whole lot of action going on at our house. And all the other guys are like, "Mm Hmm. Like, and that's it. Like yep. that's, as, that's, as, that's as kind of deep as you get into this. And so because that we're lacking that perspective, it's really easy to also lack hope. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I was so thrilled about in doing this research and talking to Dr. Mike for these three years that we've been working on this research project and just seeing point after point after point come out in the data of this is not rocket science. Right. <laughs> this is, you know, this is some of this stuff, not, not everything. Right. Obviously, but some of it can be pretty simple. And if you can deal with some of the simple things, then, okay, there may be some bigger issues there. There may be medical issues that, you know, you have a specialized need or whatever, but in, it doesn't solve those, but it sure makes them easier to solve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I almost hear a lot of what you guys are describing and have found is, uh, again, this is along the same lines as what we try to do here as a show, is 
how do we get out of our own way and challenge our perceptions that aren't necessarily based on the reality of what's right in front of me? Because that's the that's the insidiousness of our brain and long term relationship that something happened years back. You know, I can still think back 25 years ago with Pam of something happened and it is ingrained now. I can never bring that subject up. I have to be careful about this. I have to all that rather than, no, that's not who she is at all. That was who she was. That is not who she is. And that's what we do, particularly in our sex lives, because I didn't really like that. Well, then that means I can't ever do it again rather than, Mm -hmm. well, who says, you know, because it's just like it was bad timing back then. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, I always make a joke. Sometimes Pam's rejection of my sexual overtures is really good judgment because we're at Target. (laughs) Right. And so it's a good thing to have have judgment there. Uh-huh. versus man she is such a prude <laughs> right and they're like no that's not who she is you know but it's just and that's kind of what i see as i read through this and think about what you guys have discovered is a lot of this is like michael you just made the comment of it's getting more on the we're, we're more closely aligned than we thought we ever thought we were for a majority and again that's not everybody because we're talking continuums here right but but it really comes down to how do I challenge my view of what's going on and have the courage to get out of my own way and see, get confirmation right. of it, test it out. And we also showed the, um, the high value of curiosity because often when we step into marriage, we expect our spouse to be like us. Mm-hmm. And we don't understand why you don't want the way I do, or you don't want what I do, or you should be more like me is kind of this unstated uh, belief in the back of our mind. I that think it's even subconscious, up. right? And many yeah. times I think it is. And so we step into it with, you need to hear me and you need to respond to what I want, as opposed to stepping back and going, wait, what? Um Unpack that for me. And so the couples that, you know, we start to talk about initiating a receptive desire and let's let's reverse the, the script. The husband says, wait, that receptive, that sounds like me. And instead of the wife looking at him and saying, you need to be different in all of the 12 dozen ways that she subtly says you need to be different, for her to look at him and say, wait, what? So how does that work for you? And what is the internal experience of it? And and to start to allow him to unpack and figure it out and her become a student of how he works rather than telling him how he should work. And then it goes the other way as well. Now we've got a rich marriage and relationship where I am learning who you are and we're becoming together. And I think that allows for the growth and the, the change that you're identifying where I no longer see you as who you were because I'm, I'm curious about you and I'm tracking your growth and I'm, I'm watching how that does shift. And most couples in this arena don't do that very well. And I think one of the reasons most couples don't is that because this is, can be an awkward topic to talk about. Now, obviously not for you, Corey. You have a podcast <laughs> <laughs> on this topic. Right. And perhaps not for your listeners. <laughs> Because they're the listeners of right. this podcast. Um, but for many people, 
this is an awkward thing to talk about. And yeah. I think, what was the number, Mike? It was 73% of couples couldn't, mm-hmm. couldn't talk about this well. Right. Um, and so that, it is a, it is a shift of recognition when you go, okay, A, communication matters, which actually I would love Dr. Mike to unpack that for you because he's got some numbers on that that just blew my mind. But but also that the the ability to talk about it without it feeling all awkward and, you know, whatever, it's actually a lot simpler, simpler than people think. Um, and to some degree, it's even taking a book like this one and like reading it out loud to each other and sort of stopping and going, wait, is that you? Like, that's that curious approach. Like, what does that feel like? Like, I didn't realize I was, wait, I was pressured. You felt I was pressuring you. What was it exactly that I was saying? And that, that opens things up. We, we actually have um, some friends who are leaders in the marriage space who, you know, they've read every book and they've done all the work and, you know, but they actually told us recently that, and I, Dr. Mike, I don't think I even told you this, um, but they said that they had started um, partly as a, a way of sort of encouraging us. They said, you know what, we should, we should make this our book that we read together because they tend to read a little bit of a book together and, you know, in the evenings and sort of talk about it. And they, they were thinking, you know, we'll, we'll kind of dip into it and we'll read maybe, you know, five or six pages a night and, you know, talk about whatever sort of seems like, you know, it's the, it's the thing to talk about. about. Yeah. And, and they said, actually, really quickly, we gave up that idea because we were getting through two or three sentences (laughs) (laughs) And, and going, wait, what? (laughs) and is wait that's how you think and i thought that's a perfect example these are marriage leaders Mm -hmm. right these are people who've been doing this marriage ministry for years and yet all of us have things that Mm -hmm. we can talk about absolutely because there's there's so much that my perception or my wish or my desire or my way out there, politically incorrect fantasy or thought or whatever. Uh, I know Pam's reaction, whether she puts on the poker face or not, and is trying to act like she's open to hearing it. it I still know, oh, she's uncomfortable with this. Uh-oh. You know, and so that's where I think, I, I love how you guys are kind of framing this idea that marriage, we, we refer to married sex as a long game mm. because it absolutely is. Right. This is something that I, and it uses, we use this in all kinds of contexts. Like I'll make an overture or she'll make a suggestion about something. And it's not necessarily for right then and there, or even tonight. It might be for three days from now when the things finally can work out to where it'll work. But it's not a, it's not a failure because the overture was made and it didn't actually culminate. And so it is the language that you guys are helping give a frame to, I think is what's the most appealing and beneficial because it normalizes stuff, but it also equips like you're describing Shanti of it gives you something to explore. That's endless because we change as soon as we figure out, you know, who, who my partner is, 
they change or I change, you know, or, or something else happens. And like, I'm 51 years old. I can't do that anymore. You know, <laughs> you know, or just, so it's just that element of how it evolves. But you, as you were talking about, you know, wanting Michael to unpack the, the communication aspect of it. I'm, I'm curious because this is, this might be a little bit of a tangent that gets to it, but um, one of the best advice I've ever heard when, when uh, talking about, uh, talking to your kids about this subject is telling, and I've told both of mine who are teenagers, if you can't talk about this subject with someone you're thinking of actually doing it with, you're not ready. But how does that apply to marriage when they can't talk about it? No wonder we got issues that can come up and we think are way, way off the charts. Well, fear comes in so profoundly Uh, Our sexuality is so central to who we are. Mm -hmm. And if you reject my sexuality, you're rejecting me. And if I tell you what I really would like, if I share with you my inner fantasies, and then you're just going to think I'm weird and reject me. So I can't even lay that on the table. And when we, we start marriage and there's some of those early times that we toss something out and our spouse just looks aghast or horrified or right. or just says no. Like you said early on, we tuck that in and we make this an unsafe arena. And over the course of, you know, a few years of marriage, we've got this massive pile of unsafe arenas that we don't go back and allow each other to grow from. And, that, you know, one of my mentors used to say a couple can't, a, a couple doesn't have truly rich, passionate uh, sex until they've been married at least 30 years. And I think that's a really different way of looking at, you know, sex, because at, if I've been married 30 years, I no longer have a 21 year old body. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't work that way any right. longer. And and he said, that's the point, because we learn by that age that sex is just as much about heart as it is about body, maybe even more so. And we learn how to profoundly connect with each other. That means dropping the, the barriers and the guards and stepping into those unsafe arenas that we have locked away for years and said, right. I can't discuss this with you. I can't be naked and unashamed before you. Or you'll see me as wrong. I'm loving that, Michael, because as we're sitting here recording, I've got like three months and then I get the touch of what 30 <laughs> years of, of married sex is. So <laughs> sweet. Buckle up, baby, as you're hearing this. Um. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love what um, Barry McCarty and, and Michael Metz um, said in one of their books that, you know, we have this mythology that says that every sexual encounter needs to be an eight or nine or 10 on our right. uh, one to 10 scale. And right. that is so unrealistic that after you know a few decades couples realize that most sex is a five and there will be times that you look over at each other and go wow baby i don't know what you did last night but that was truly amazing but there will be just as many times that we go okay check the box we did that (laughs) we'll try to do better next time right (laughs) and in that sense of we still love being with each other in a way that we are not with anybody else in the world Right. That I and, and that's the beauty this. of the language of this whole thing, it right? Is. That it's just that it's that it's yep. all such this ever flowing language. And I love the nuance you guys are adding of staying curious, mm-hmm. of of staying connected, um, being a student, because yep. it is an evolving as we go. 
right? It's a, it's a challenge of constantly relearning ourselves right. and each other. And every bit of it is a communication. You know, mm-hmm. the way we touch each other is communicating. The way we, we initiate, the way we receive the initiation, the way we postpone to another time, um, whether, you know, what that particular uh, apex experience looks like is, is a communication. And so right. it doesn't, it makes sense that those that truly communicate well. Now, um, you know, part of what was fun in the research is, um, asking a couple if you communicate well, you get very different numbers from looking at do couples truly communicate well. You know, right. Shanti's got. I was, I was like, it was funny listening, asking them those questions, and I don't know if we've lost Mike's video, but I. Uh, it'll catch up. It's not a problem. Yep. Okay. Yep. <clears throat> but asking couples those questions about whether you communicate well. It was really hilarious, actually, Mm -hmm. and maybe actually instructive for your listeners, um, because I think the number, if I'm remembering correctly, it was something like north of 60% of couples said, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we we communicate fine, Mm -hmm. you know, without any issues or or difficulty, like when they were asked that straightforwardly. Right. And then when you look at those exact people... And you look at how they answered the other questions on the survey, we had identified about five or six markers of communication um, and looked at, you know, if someone, for example, says, um, you know, if your spouse wishes that you knew something, would you want them to bring it up with you? Okay, that's just like a basic, you know, another type of communication question. And some of those 60% or whatever who said, oh, yeah, we talk about everything just fine. I'm like, no, no, I don't want my spouse right. to bring things up with me. Right. <laughs> I was like, okay. And so that's what we actually identified is when you actually look in practice, we're, we're a lot of us who think maybe we are good communicators, we do have a lot to learn. And, oh, my gosh, Corey, from a perspective of your podcast and the benefit of talking about this topic there were so many benefits I've, in terms of sort of like, hey, this is data that shows why my podcast exists. I'm wondering whether Mike should, Dr. Mike should share some of that data about the well, benefits of communication. The, the one that really jumped out is just in looking at the, the, the overall happiness or the happiness with sex when mm-hmm. they do. You know, we've got 6.4 times um, it goes up if they're talking well versus those that are are talk are not okay um, and that's a massive difference the other one you know a lot of the research right now in a uh, post-covid kind of world and we were completing our our data collection in that that stage um, and part of what's discussed in the sex therapy forums where all of us sex therapists are talking online is the massive number of couples that are sexless and we found that in our data as well. Um, I don't remember, Shanti. It was around 23 25% somewhere in there. It was 20, 23% were low sex or no sex in the dyada, mm-hmm. in the uh, married, in the matched pair survey. Oh. And it was 21% in the survey of married individuals. So really high. Okay. So over only- one in five couples. Yeah. If yeah. I'm remembering correctly, it was 9% of couples were never 
Like they mm-hmm. said, we never have sex. Okay. So it was 14% that were less than once a month, if I'm remembering correctly. And when you take and look at those couples, you know, I wanted to know what's different in those couples versus the ones that are having sex. Right. And, you know, one of the massive differences is just communication. Um, that couples that had great communication, we've got almost 10% of those couples are reporting sex daily or more. Now, that's a big Compared to four percent of the overall population, and yeah. and less than one percent of those that had poor communication, you know. And when we look at those that are not having sex, a very small number. Um, I think it was like seven percent of those couples that had great communication were not having sex. And I suspect we didn't ask the questions, but I suspect that those were the couples where there was a physical issue or there's some other reason going on that keeps them from engaging versus 46% of couples that have poor communication are sexless. There's a massive difference in those, those groups. Now, you know, obviously when you do a single slice of research, you can't say if you communicate more, then you're going to have better sex. Um, right. Because it could be that those that are having sex more are communicating more. Um, but if the two of those things are correlated, then it makes sense that if we increase one, we're probably going to increase the other one. Right. It should have impact at least some way or and help in at least a small little tick going up. That, right. That could be yeah. not a, not a small. I mean, True. some of those numbers were yeah. huge. True. Mm-hmm. You know, six times more likely to be happy in your marriage. <laughs> right. Well, I, <laughs> I keep coming back to as we kind of I want to wind this down just uh, because I think what's so Im- impactful to me is is getting, you know, kind of going through everything you guys have and then talking to you today. Um I keep coming back to the framework we have and a, and a belief I've got just from the training I've got with Dr. Schnarch, um, who's not a, who's not a Christian. So anybody that's new to the show, um, but he a lot of what you guys are talking about laugh, overlaps perfectly in the sense that marriage is designed to help us grow up. That's the whole point of it. That mm-hmm. I, That's what I believe. You know, Gary Thomas uses the word it makes us holy rather than happy. And he got that out in print before I could get mine out in print of it growing up. And so we we're, we fight about that. Um, <laughs> but but it's that element of it's me getting out of my own way. It's me being curious, to use you guys' mm-hmm. phrase, that that is so beneficial of asking the questions, testing out a hypothesis, just seeing. And they're just being open to what – because the idea of communicating, I mean, it's not – I don't. I, I personally think, and professionally think, talking about this subject is awkward. But I lean into the awkwardness, and I grow more comfortable in it, right? And it, and I'm able to handle the tension where it doesn't go well, and it's not a horrible thing. We come back to it, and it's because we've all have done that, right? I mean, through the courses of your marriages, you've mm-hmm. had that where yeah, you know, we didn't handle that well, but now we can do it a little bit better, and then this time is a little bit better. I mean, parenting is a great example of that. I got no clue what I'm doing. And as soon as I figured out, they hit a different stage. And now I got to adjust to that stage. It's a great analogy. Right. And so it's the same kind of concept of I need to expand me as I'm expanding my marriage. And that's where I get the whole benefit because this conversation just confirms, wait, there's a whole lot of normal happening here. It's not a shock what's yeah. going on. It's just now how do we dispel that better, which is what you guys' work does. 
to let people see it as, okay, wait, if I'm not broken, there's hope there. So I can, I can, I can take that in and, and move forward. And when, when we, you know, we look at animals, when an animal is in a safe environment, when they're fed well, when they've been able to get good sleep, they play. And um, the, the couples that we asked far preferred playfulness in sex over the seriousness in sex. And they come into our offices asking for it, but they don't have a safe environment. You know, they're bickering with each other. They're under pressure yeah. from each other. There's demands to be. And, and I just point out, you can't um, be playful in that type of an environment. Versus, you know, my language is, you know, marriage was God's first intervention in helping us to be like him. So it's God's first act of discipleship. And right. it's a really rough discipleship journey. <laughs> um, but it's one that's well worth it. And right. as I disciple self, as I grow up me, I help to create an environment. You know, there are things... Uh, we we found that a thirty percent of the women experience pain a third of the time, and you know the the numbers of pain, especially for women, was just really high. Mm-hmm. That's going to shut down the ability to be receptive, the ability Absolutely. to respond, the ability to be playful. And many times, their spouses are not sensitive and aware of that. Many times, what wives are not even telling their husbands that this hurts every time we engage. Versus only about 12% of the guys, and the impact to them was much lower. Um, but still a significant number of men. But you add any of those kind of variables in, and it shuts down our ability to really Absolutely. respond well. Stepping back, being curious, um, being allowing our spouse to be different and, and figuring that out opens of- up the chance for playfulness. Yeah. One of the most encouraging findings, Corey, that to me, when Mike showed me the data and he had, again, he was crunching all of the dyadic data in the ways that my little brain just couldn't. Um, And he showed me this one chart that I said, wait, that looks like this is saying that. And he said, yep. And, and this is to me the benefit of all the communication and the desire for playfulness, which is that most couples, both partners, both the lower desire and the higher desire spouse, both partners want more sex than it's actually happening. Right. And that to me was like, right. like you've got you've got a, you know, a certain desire level yet, like this once a week or three times a week or whatever. And it's only happening, you know, three times a month, but both people want more than that. And that opens up all this space for what you guys are talking about of there's for not everybody, right? Not every couple, but but if we can address some of these things that we just haven't talked about, or if we can get somebody help for the sexual pain or, you know, whatever those things are, everybody wants to connect more. That's a very encouraging thing to go into this realizing. Yeah. No, that's, that's incredibly helpful because that's that element of now all of a sudden we can let the problem be the problem. We are not part of the problem. Right. Where we add mm-hmm. to it because it make it about us or, you know, rather than wait, no, that's just two human beings that aren't the same trying to figure out this path together. 
where I can easily place it as you are the stumbling block in my world rather than, no, we're just different. What if that's actually a mechanism for my growth and ours? And that's the beauty and and love I have of marriage is I think that's the whole process of it. So, well, I can't thank you guys enough for this, for the work you guys do, because I'm uh, having done the research in the way back and dabble still not near to the level you guys described. Thank you so much for either your brains that want and like doing that um, because that's, it's such a valuable resource. So how can people find the book? I'll put all this in the show notes too, but how can they find more about you guys and the book? Um, well, the easiest way we've actually been creating um, a portal online with a lot of other resources as well. Um, the book Secrets of Sex and Marriage, you can get it pretty much anywhere. Um, but the portal is also secretsofsexandmarriage.com. And um, because Dr. Mike has that sex therapy background, he and some of his colleagues have been writing some articles and um, some specific resources. If you need extra help in this area or that area, um, where can you go to find referrals, for example? So all of that is on there and hopefully will be really helpful to people. Good. Well, thank you guys so much for the time and all the best on the work as it continues. Okay. Thank you. Thanks so much. So it was fun to have uh, those two on the show. That's the first time I've ever, I mean, I've met Shanti before. We, mm-hmm. we met her a couple of years back at a marriage a collective that we went mm-hmm. to. And then Michael, first time meeting him officially. And it's so great to talk to people that have been in the field for a long time and really have helped shape some of the conversations mm-hmm. that have gone on throughout the, throughout the years uh, in Christian marriages and in homes and in relationships across the globe. Yeah, appreciate uh, people putting in the, all the grit and the hard work. Absolutely. And so it's so great to, to get a chance to just dive into theirs. And if there's more that you want to know, um, check out their book. Also, let us know, 214-702-9565 or feedback at passionatelymarried.net because we want to continue the conversations that help bridge the gap of perception versus reality. Mm-hmm. And then how do you face what's really going on a whole lot better? Well, transcripts are available on each of the show's episodes pages if you want to get into the details of what was said. All the advertisers' deals and discounts are also available on each of the episode's pages at passionatelymarried.net. Please consider supporting those who support the show. And one way you can support us is leave us a comment and a review. Follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you listen. Because your comments and your following helps us spread the word and climb the charts so that other couples can frame their conversations better going forward as well. Well, however you've taken a little bit of time out to spend it with us, thank you so much again, and we'll see you next time.